Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. jump back into chapter 11 and we talked about creating products and pricing strategies to meet customers needs and I will kind of quickly recap the uh, information that we talked about on Tuesday and there is a methodology behind that it's not just because I like repeating myself but if you kind of go over that information a couple times it starts to crystallize in your brain and then when it pops back up or it manifests in the real world you say oh yeah we talked about that in business class and so you'll kind of can start seeing things through that lens. I didn't know this transformation was happening within me when I was a student. I just was here for the piece of paper to get a better job. But it actually hit me, I probably told the story on graduation day that I learned a lot. And you do learn a lot through the college experience and you start to look at the world through different lenses. And you start to see, when you go to a business now to buy a product or service, you think about all the inputs that went into getting that product to you. Uh, And then when you, you go to work or you get a job, you start to look at the efforts that you're putting forward and what that translates to for the business. You know, like I used to work in recruiting and I would think, okay, every time I make a sale, the business is going to get about $10,000 a year and I'm going to get no more money. You know, like they're paying me a flat, flat rate. And so $10,000 a year, if you're making $40,000, I only have to like recruit, you know, or do uh, 10 sales you know, to, to justify my salary. And in a given year, not being like, this is not hyperbole, I'd probably say 100 to 150 sales. So they, they pay for me after four, right? So I'm doing like a 25, 30X value prop for that business. So that means that I'm a value multiplier for that business. Not me personally, I was, but we are. We are value multipliers for a business. So when you go work for a company, let's say they're going to pay you $10 an hour, you start to think about, okay, what, what am I doing for that $10 an hour? You know, even if you're working at, you know, Panera Bread, how, like Ricky, you know, if you go work for $10 an hour and they're going to make, you know, one, two, three, four hundred, five hundred dollars $500 an hour of, of uh, I guess, value off of your efforts, you know, you start to think about that and say, how do I flip from being a consumer to a producer? Like, that's the question you need to think about and say, what kind of value can I create myself and bring to the marketplace? And and what can I do to uh, create my own value proposition? And that's really a good entrepreneurial mindset to get into. I think everybody should have a small business of some type, whether you provide a product or service of some type. You should just, just something, you know, that you do to create value. And by doing that, even if you only make a little bit of money on a monthly basis doing it, you're doing something yourself you're doing you're like creating that value and it really means a lot and it can make a difference in a household if you've got a household that you know has a modest budget based on income and you can add 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 percent more income to that household doing your own thing that's great and not only is it great from an income standpoint but it's great from a learning standpoint when you go into a small business or you start a small business, you learn a lot. I've, I've started small businesses. I've learned from those experiences. I've been involved in startups and saw the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and I've been involved in small business, medium-sized, and large businesses and seen 
you know, the good, the bad, the ugly that happens there. So uh, these are all learning opportunities. So don't forget that as you go through your educational journey and your professional journey, that the, the kind of the often not talked about or forgotten about is side benefit is that you actually gain knowledge. And that's important because when you get older and you've had these experiences, you can rely on those and say, you know what, 10 years ago I did this thing, it didn't work out. These are the lessons learned from that. And now when I do it today, I'll know not to repeat those mistakes. Uh, that's that's kind of uh, how life teaches us things. So I'm going to kind of like, well, like I said, go through. We talked about uh, some mascots and their branding and how that sticks with people. Uh, we talked about modernizing uh, brands and so they could connect with a more modern audience. I think a lot of uh, uh, producers do that. They, they reevaluate their brand and try to constantly reconnect. We talked about Facebook, this idea that they're changing their name to Meta, which I don't like. But did you, did we, you remember talking about this or did we talk about it in this class? Yeah. Uh, I don't like that name. And, but they've probably spent a lot of time evaluating that name and deciding to go that route. And my thinking on this is they've probably determined that the Facebook name has got a bad tarnish on it. So this new name will give us a whole new thing to talk about. And they're hoping to have a kind of a 2.0 where they'll bring in the next generation of young people that are interested in meta now. Whereas, I don't know, I guess I'm an older generation now and I may be looking at Facebook like, uh, you know, it's okay. But um, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this particular example about the target markets. But we did talk about how different, uh, this is uh, the Marriott brand hotel. They have different SKUs or different brands that appeal to different customers. And so brand association is something companies spend millions of dollars to, to get you guys to think about. And I've actually probably done this earlier in the semester. Like when I say the word Target, what comes to mind? What's a brand, what's a, what's a word association you have with Target? Who? Makeup? Okay, that's good, because they put a lot of money into their makeup department. What else, what other, what other things do you associate with Target? One word, descriptors. Who? Electronics? What's that? Well, like when I say, like, let me give you an example. When I, when I hear the word Target, I think quality. That's a good, that's a good association. Clean. Clean, I think the word, that's good. I agree with that, what's that? Expensive, yeah, it's a little pricier. What else do you associate with Target? Clean. Okay, so that's really good. If I work for Target and I say that and you guys give me those words, that's good. If I say McDonald's, what word do you associate with McDonald's? Broken ice cream machine. Broken ice cream machine. Yeah, hyphenated. Uh -huh. Long, line. <laughs> Long line. Okay, yeah. Dirty bathrooms. What else? Junk food. Junk food. Cheap. Cheap. Unhealthy, right? Those are bad associations, right? But, I mean, McDonald's is wildly popular. People still eat there. But there they have, like, when I think about something I want to eat, McDonald's is not in the top five, right? It's not even, yeah. Like, I personally eat McDonald's probably less than once a month. I don't even think I eat it that much. What's up? Hey, I love McDonald's. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, um, I, get, I get the appeal. But, you know, for me personally, like, I would rather eat something healthy and I, have, I don't feel guilty about it, you know. So, but uh, we'll do one more. So... When I say apple, what's the word association that comes to mind? Bread. Who? Bread. Bread? Bread. Apple. apple as in apple iPhone. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Apple, apple bread. Apple bread. Apple bread. Apple bread. Apple bread. Okay. 
the Apple, the electronic manufacturer. What comes to mind when I say Apple? Expensive. Expensive, okay. Quality. Quality. Trend. Trend. Anything else? Has a phone coming out <laughs> A lot of products, yeah. Anything else? Or expensive but worth it, yeah. You know, that's interesting. My wife is ready to upgrade her phone, and they are expensive. But when you look at the amount of time you spend using your device, which is hours a day, every day, it's kind of like, you know, it breaks down to really, really cheap if you break, if you break it down, you know, and look at it that way. So, All right, so let's move along to get to the new content. We talked about environmental scanning. This is where we look around and size up, you know, where we're at in relation to our local economy, our macro economy with regards to regulations, to our competitors. These are all the things we're looking at. Uh, we're looking at employees and employment. How, how easy is it for, for us to find new workers, those types of things. We talked about competitive advantages and target markets. And so we also talked about the consumer purchase decision-making process. You see something, uh, marketers are designing products and services to have an emotional response. Remember we talked about the goal of a commercial is to get you to exhibit some type of emotional response, whether it's laughing or feeling like touched in some way, like, oh, that was such an emotional moment, you know. Like we see the media does this too. Like every day if you go on any kind of social media or some type of news aggregator, I use Flipboards, they put stuff that's clickbait. We all know it's clickbait. I, I mean, I look at it, I know it's clickbait, and sometimes I still click on it anyway. Uh, yeah, it's, but it's designed to – how many of you have like clicked on an article – because the title was very clickbaity and the article had nothing to do with the title or it was like the opposite of the title. What's up? Uh, it, it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like, um, what's, what you got? Well, I clicked on the article because it was like, it was like something like Kevin Smith said something to his mom that broke his family. So I clicked it. Yeah. And then it just kept procrastinating. He yep. Right, right. So, like, yeah, uh, this celebrity did this thing, and you'll be so shocked. And then you get down into it. They tell this lengthy article where you see seventeen ads, and then you get to the thing. It's like, okay, whatever. So, but so, but they're all doing it with that in mind. They know that there's these things that if they put it out there, they study uh, like internet psychology, and they know that. If I put, if I use this keyword, like this word is going to get 37% more clicks than that word. You know, they optimize for human psychology, and they know that if I say uh, shocked, that's going to get more clicks than humbled. You know, I mean, because shocked is like, oh, what happened? You know, like you want to see. So, um, but in this decision-making process, once again, we go through a need recognition. We search for information. We talk about reviews. Evaluation of alternatives, is there something else I could use potentially instead of this product? We make a purchase decision and then we um, go through a post-purchase behavior. Was this really a good value? Did I trade the value that I created by doing a good a service, providing labor or creating uh, my own service or good? Did I, did I get a good exchange for my money for this? And sometimes you buy something and you realize this is not really what I, I was hoping for, right? It's the quality's kind of sucky. It's not good. Anybody ever buy anything off of Wish? Wish? You got never used it? It's it's an app that you can buy really cheap stuff directly from China. Like you can buy, I mean, dollar, two dollar, three dollar. It's like Dollar Tree app kind of for stuff directly from China. 
But you look at this stuff and it looks great on the picture, but when you get it in, it's, it's really is kind of, uh, you know, not very good. So um, I go through that. Even for a dollar, I'm like, did I really need this for a buck, you know? So we talked about, um, what's it? it? It can be, yeah. So we talked about market segmentation, how these things are divided up by demographic, geographic, psychographic, benefit, and volume. I drew those circles on the board and do a cross-section of what marketers are looking for to try to determine who their target market is. You know, we mentioned Scott Pilgrim at the beginning of class. And so if I am, you know, the artist is just creating the work, but the marketer is trying to figure out who really wants to see this work, who wants to purchase it, how can we get it in front of that individual so they can make a buying decision? Um, this is some different um, uh, additional information about age segmentation. And so like uh, Fritos, Doritos, and Tostitos. Um, so the name uh, word derives from Frito is little fried bits, Dorito little bits of gold, and then Tostito little toasted bits. And so they've got the year they've introduced, main ingredients. And then these are the demographics that they most likely target. Fritos are the 33 to 51 year old males because these have been around for a while. Doritos, little little newer, um, aiming towards teens. And then Tostitos, upscale consumers born between 46 and 64. So they, this is what their target market is they've determined that they're going for. And so, um, like, you see in the Frito, their target market is primarily a male-driven market. Um, not saying that females don't buy Fritos, but this particular market segmentation, that's what they've identified. And so they're probably going to build their branding and target market. If they're going to put an ad on Facebook and they have to pick, do you want to target a male audience in this age range or a female audience, they probably are going to get more results if they know that their target market is more male-oriented. Um, you know, that's just what they have determined based on their demographic research. So do, do people, what, what's your favorite up here? I don't, you tell me. Doritos. Doritos is probably what my kids would pick. They're, they're more, Dorito is actually a mad science project because it appeals to everything you want to eat as a human being. Little salty, little sweet, umami. It's uh, got that, uh, got salt and fat and sugar all like hitting you in your senses. And so it's scientifically engineered to like hit that pleasure center in your brain and keep you eating more Doritos. So yeah, when I buy Doritos and bring them home and my kids see it, they're like Doritos and they start doing like a Dorito dance or something, you know, so I'm just seeing if you guys are awake. They, they sometimes they actually do some little dances. So, all right. So tangible and intangible attributes of a product uh, that create value. So the product um, is, can be whatever, you know, uh, and these are all the tangible and intangible things that are value adds. So the image of the retail store, where you buy a product matters. If you go buy that product from Walmart and then you go buy the exact same product from Target, there is a qualitative difference in the way the customer feels about that experience, right? Uh, or let's say you go buy an iPad, a base model iPad, $329. You buy that iPad from Walmart, you buy that iPad from Target, and then you buy it from the Apple Store. Which one feels cooler? Buying it from the Apple Store directly, right? It's like, man, I went to the Apple Store today. I bought an iPad. How cool am I, right? Or you could say, man, I went to Walmart today. I bought an iPad. That just doesn't feel cool, does it? You know, I mean, and it's all qualitative. There's no, from a quantitative number standpoint, everything's the same. It's the same model, same specs, same price. But the way we feel and perceive that is different.
And so, yeah, that image of the retail store makes a difference. Um, and so warranty is an intangible thing, something that is a guarantee that if this doesn't work out, uh, I have this guarantee from the manufacturer. The color, man, color is such a big thing. When you go buy a car, do you make a car buying decision based on color? Be honest. You do? What type of car, color do you prefer? White. I do too. Why do you prefer white? It looks nice. It looks nice, yeah. I statistically, look it up, white cars are the safest cars to drive. They're easier to spot on the road. Next time you're driving down the road, just glance, like if you're on a four-way, four-lane, two coming, two going, look on the opposite side as you're going down the road safely, and you'll notice a line of cars, the white one will stand out. The other ones will blend into the background a little bit better. So statistically speaking, you're less likely to get into a collision driving a white car um, just because it's more easily identifiable on the road. It's easier to see in low light settings, uh, easier to see at night. And so, yeah, I make buying decisions based on color. I'm looking for a white vehicle. The past, well, yeah, the past couple cars I've bought have been white. So um, packaging, yes, ma'am, what's, what's up? Yeah. Is it for safety or just you like the look? Um, my parents like white cars because black cars and like darker cars yeah. heat up quicker too. Yeah. And they show dirt. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, the car I drive now is white. My wife, my car's, uh, my wife's car is white. When our kids start getting cars, I'm gonna buy white cars for them. You know, I just feel. I, I think if I can do any kind of edge to give them safety, you know, that's what I'm looking at. Uh, the packaging makes a difference. You know, you can get a great product in a terrible package and it just doesn't speak to you as, as much as a great product in an awesome package, you know. So instructions, how easily is it to decipher the puzzle of putting this thing together or getting it complete? That's part of it. Uh, a lot of the complaints I see on reviews are terrible instructions. Have you guys seen complaints like that in reviews? Like the instructions are vague or they don't tell you how to do this. The image of the brand, is this brand associated with quality or not? We recently, well, I told you guys, we're getting a house, and they installed the HVAC units. And I, didn't, I wasn't familiar with the brand of HVAC units, so I went and looked it up and see what I could find out about, find out about it. And it turns out it's pretty comparable to these other brands that people would name recognize. Uh, they had, you can actually go on these forums where people that work in HVAC will tell you about you know, that. So um, Attachments what comes with it, and then service after the sale. Are we done after I buy this, or are you gonna you know, help me out? Um, going back to that Apple example, when you buy an Apple product, they have a warranty, and you can take it in to have it serviced you know, for a limited time, and you can buy extended warranty if you choose to do that. So these are things that are value adds for a consumer. Some of them may be small, but, but others may view it differently. Like some people buy a product, they could care less about the warranty. You know, I buy a TV. If it breaks, I'll buy another TV, you know. But some people are very warranty-focused. You know, if I buy this TV and it, it blinks out in a couple months, yeah, that's going to be a problem. So um, my dad is very warranty-focused. And if something goes wrong, yeah, he's going to be – you better believe the manufacturer's going to hear about it. So um, any questions about that? All right. So classifications of consumer products by the effort expended to buy them. So we've got a couple different ones here. Unsalt products, convenience products, shopping products, and specialty. So unsalt products are things um, like life insurance, burial plots, and timeshare condos. These are things that exist, but they're not something that are continually like sought after. You know, like 
it's not like a consumable that you're going to have to go get. You don't, you're not going to have to buy more toothpaste, you know, in this, in this example. You know, toothpaste is something that people continually need to go get. Food products you need, continually need to go get. But things like life insurance, barrel plots, no. Um, convenience products, things like soft drinks, bread, milk, coffee, um, they, they require very little effort to go after them. You know, they're there, they're convenient, they're uh, ubiquitous all over the place. You can go into pretty much any store and you can find this kind of stuff. Shopping products are destination items, things we go deliberately to get, thinking automobiles, homes, and vacations. And there's effort that goes into that. You have to, like, we looked at probably 20 different models of houses before we landed on one that we liked. And so there was effort. I hate buying cars. Does anybody hate buying cars too? The uh, reason I hate it is because it takes a lot of time to, to research different vehicles and different, you know, make sure you're finding one that's within your color, your, your like price that you want, the, the condition's got to be there, it's got to have a clean Carfax report. It just takes a lot of effort. It took me a while to find my wife's car. I mean, I would say we worked on it two weeks to a month, somewhere in that time frame before we landed on the, on the car she wanted. And it's just, it, consider, it takes effort to do that stuff. Then specialty products, uh, products expensive jewelry, gourmet restaurants, and limited production uh, automobiles, th things that really require a maximum effort because you're going into like customize something specifically to your wants and needs. Um, so steps to develop a new product that satisfy customers. Set new product goals. This is a difficult area to be in because you have to anticipate what the customer demand is going to be before the customer gets there. So you have to kind of be able to sociologically imagine where the society is going. So what's a trend that you think is going to happen like in the next short window, one to ten years? What's up? Um, uh, I, I think that the word kid could be um, normalized mean person. Kid means person? I think it like could be a, people like when they talk about someone. Right. They say that kid over there. Okay, I got you. I'm talking about trend from a business standpoint though. Like what, what business trend do you think is like going to be a real thing in the next, you know, one to, one to ten years range? Product or service? What are you thinking? Service or social media? Social media? What do you think, Ricky? Like, you know what that meta thing? Uh, okay. Yep, okay. Yep. So, who's heard of the term NFT? What is the NFT? Digital art. Digital art, yeah. NFT stands for non-fungible token. Fungible means that it's exchangeable. Like, if I have two things that are identical, if I can find it real quick, yeah. So I've got this blue pen, uh, marker and I've got this blue par, uh, marker. These markers are fungible, meaning I can exchange them and you don't know which one is which, right? They're interchangeable. But if I bring this into the mix, these are not fungible because if I traded, then I don't have the blue one anymore, right? So dollars are fungible, meaning that if I give you a dollar and you give me a dollar, there's no tangible difference. There's a difference in the serial numbers, of course, but for all intents and purposes, those are the same units. Uh, NFT is art that is non exchange. It's not exchangeable with a like uh, like other art. So um, you know how like there's JPEGs on the internet that you can copy or memes that you can copy a million times. These things cannot be copied. They're they're this the one and only non fungible tokens. And so 
Uh, I can see a future where we create a digital version, a metaverse version of ourselves. And so when I go online, you know, this is the way I'm dressed today. But when I go online, I can buy NFT Nikes. They only made 10,000 pairs of this particular NFT Nike. And 10,000 people can virtually buy that particular look. And so I can rock those NFT Nikes in the virtual space, walking around with that outfit. And if I want to sell those to somebody that really wants them, they can give me real dollars or some type of real value to trade my NFT Nikes to them. And then they would be the owner of that one of those 10,000 pairs, you know. And uh, they're talking, there's, uh, I got to listen to the guy Kevin O'Leary on Shark Tank. He's getting really involved with NFTs with uh, luxury watches. A lot of these watches that he collects are one of a kind. They have one guy, that, I mean, that makes these one uh, of the kind. And he said, what we could do is create NFTs for that particular watch. And when I sell that watch, I can exchange or send the NFT to the owner and they will have custody of that watch and have a proof of originality so it's not been faked. You know, It's a ownership certificate. And I think in the future, they're gonna do this with all property. So like when I buy a car and I've paid it off, they're gonna transfer the title NFT to me and that individual file represents the ownership title of that vehicle and all ownership of all properties. I think it's going to go that way in the future. So if we see that trend going, we should think, you know, what can we do to capitalize on that? What can we do to enter that space and be a part of that? You know, so that that's things that the way that you should be thinking is what can I create? What can I create this new that's going to be the next big thing, you know, down the road? So develop new product ideas screen ideas and concepts, develop the concept, test market uh, the new product and introduce the product to the marketplace. This is kind of the process by which we go through to develop and introduce new products. Uh, and everything was new at some point, right? So everything that we consume now and use now, at some point that was a new concept. And so if one person can do that and introduce a new product or service to the marketplace, why can't you guys do it? And the answer is you can do it. It's just a matter of uh, do you want to do it? And so uh, you need to be comfortable with the idea of I can do this, I can introduce a new product or service and make something happen. Um, so sales and profit during the product life cycle. This is a big part of the chapter, talking about product life cycles. Every product goes through one. You've got um, this idea of a new product that will enter the marketplace and adoption is slow in that introduction phase. Most people, you know, they try it out, they like it or don't like it. But it takes a little while for adoption to really catch hold. And once it, do, you, it does, you have a rapid or parabolic rise in adoption. And eventually, though, it does hit maturity. It hits a point where that product life cycle is in, at an end and it starts to decline. One day, this will reach its end. You know, the very first phone I had was a bag phone. Does anybody remember those? It, looked, it was a football-sized bag phone. It's Motorola. And when you picked up the phone, it had a cord connected to it. And you could talk for up to 30 minutes a month on their plan, which was expensive. And you had no text, just 30 minutes. And if you went a minute over that, you were paying dearly for it. And it was expensive on a per minute basis after that. But that product had its life cycle. It ended. That's done. I don't know anybody's got a back phone anymore with a cord attached to it. I, I, I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't. I don't know anybody that has a house phone with a cord attached to it. Does anybody know anybody? That product life cycle has ended. Eventually, this will be the way of the dodo as well. This will not be around at some point. How long that's going to be? Could be five years, could be 10 years. I don't know. We'll see. But at some point, people will look at this and think, God, that's old school. What happened? You know? 
So that doesn't mean that just because this is going out of style that they can't sell $100 million a year between now and then because that's what they're doing. They're selling $100 million iPhones a year. And so they're making a ton of cash. But Apple knows that this is not forever. They know that they can make, a, for decades, they can continue to make a lot of money off this. But at some point, this is going to go away. They need to have the next thing that's going to be able to replace the iPhone uh, and, and continue with their successful company. So, um, you know, I can see a point as our society, we talked about demographic shifts. I can see a point in our society where we really get to a point where we say, you know what? We don't want, as, as a society, we just collectively decide we don't want any more uh, processed foods. We could say, you know, these companies like Coca-Cola and Frito-Lay and all these, these manufacturers have sold us these unhealthy processed foods for decades, and it's made us all sick. So as a society, we're choosing not to do that. And if we all said that, they would figure out a new model really quickly. They would say, we're going to pivot to healthy, fresh you know, foods that people want and they're in demand. Uh, and so, I've, like when I started at Walmart, uh, this wasn't the trend, but it started increasingly becoming the trend, which is this word organic. Is that still a big deal now at Walmart? Do you have a lot of requests for organic stuff? Yeah. Do you guys buy any organic products? Um, is that a value add for you? Go ahead. I mean, I don't really go out. Like, if I see it there, right. say if I go buy some fruits or something, and if it's organic, I'll just buy the organic. Right. It just depends on a lot of factors, you know. It depends on what's available uh, and my kind of preferences at the time. But if I could buy organic all the time and it'd be, you know, comparable, I probably would, you know. Um, there is something a little more satisfying to doing that. So, all right. So strategies for success at each stage of the product life cycle. Um, so there's these different categories, marketing objective, the product, distribution, promotion, and pricing. I'm not going to go through everything just for time purposes, but... I encourage you to look at this. It's uh, table 11.5 in the book. I think I got one more to talk about. Yeah. So let's just talk about advertising real quick. Traditional advertising and target marketing using big data. Um, do you guys think that it's effective to spend millions of dollars on traditional TV ads today? Do you think that's effective? What do you think is more effective, spending a million dollars on a Coca-Cola commercial or hiring an influencer on TikTok for 20 grand and having them make a bunch of short little Coke videos? What do you, I think, yeah, I think doing that, I mean, if you ask Coke, they're going to say do both. We've got a big marketing budget, we're going to do everything. But I think it's more effective to go gorilla, meaning those, those like little, little videos that like YouTubers and TikTokers can make. Uh, all the influencers that I've seen, they have some type of sponsor. They, they, they're promoting some type of product or service, and they're getting paid to do that. It's not huge dollars like they would with a multi-million dollar national rollout of a commercial, but they're making some significant money doing that stuff. Um, but targeted marketing, like if I know that my consumer is in this age bracket, I want to find an influencer that connects with those that age bracket and bring them into the fold to market to that, that demographic. So, All right, guys, this wraps up Chapter 11. I hope you've uh, enjoyed it. I appreciate your time and attention. Uh, I'll be sending out some additional information today and tomorrow. If you need me, drop me an email. Don't forget about your homework. Have a safe and warm weekend, guys.